There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Not, not weird. I have a question to kind of pose to both of you. This is something I was thinking about uh, last week. So for context, uh, last Saturday, um, before the three of us gathered to watch the UFC fights, which is like our sort of like Saturday ritual, we come here at the office, we watch some, some punchies. And um, before that event, uh, I, had, I went to a show here in Halifax called The Rankin Winter Warmer. Shout out to Rankin McGinnis. Awesome show. They do it every Saturday. If you're in Halifax between like now when this is coming out and the end of March, go to it. It's three to six on a Saturday. It's like the most wholesome, fun, like sing along time right in the middle of the day. Great, like day drinking, fun time. But here's the thing. People, Rankin's from uh, Cape Breton and uh, people flood, like flood in from Cape Breton to go to the show specifically. And before, and I was talking to my buddy, Kyle, who manages uh, the marquee, which is the, uh, the space where the show is happening. And I was like, hey, what time should I show up? And Kyle was like, yo, like line up early because people fight for seats, like the seating situation there. People go crazy. And I was like, okay. And I knew that I had six people coming to enjoy the show with myself and Kira. And Kira was going to show up later. Wait, so you're a total of eight. I'm a to- total of uh, seven, okay. including me. Okay. Okay. So Kira is going to be showing up late. The other six are going to be, or sorry, the other five are going to be showing up later. So I'm the first one there. And this I, is going to be a seat holding yes. situation. Okay. So, Here, so I see where this is so going. I already. have to hold seven <laughs> seats. I think at Cineplex, they call them Sally Seat Savers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Now, I hate being a Sally Seat Saver because. It gives me like an like an unbelievable and and what I what I thought to be unreasonable amount of anxiety, like true anxiety where like I'm fidgeting, I feel it in my heart, I feel it in my gut, like I just feel fully uncomfortable and like I can't I can't just like settle. And I said this to Kira, I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like I'm feeling massive anxiety about grabbing all these seats because I know that this is like there's a bunch of people come here. I only have one coat and I have one purse, my fanny pack that I can lay out. And then I bought a bunch of drinks. I bought a bunch of drinks to, to like, to put down on other chairs so that people just didn't take them. And I'm worked up. And it got me thinking about like irrational anxieties because I know that we know somebody that's close to us who has like drive through anxiety. We're like going through the drive through. I'm not going to say their name, but going through the drive through they get really anxious, like when there's other people in the car. They're like holding up the situation. Sure. Like, yeah. like if you're taking four orders with four <laughs> people in the car and you're in the drive-thru, it's like, that's anxiety. Uh, and, and 
I don't get that, but I get like I get it, but I don't have that. I don't have drive through anxiety, but mm-hmm. I definitely have seat saving anxiety. So, dude, I said that. So, sorry to 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 interrupt, but I said that to my dad once. I was in a, I was in yes, because yeah, I because right. I kind of great. I don't you told get us it. this story. I don't yeah. get it, but I also understand it. Uh, and I asked my dad that because because it wasn't my dad that was taking a long time. It was like the person on the other end was yeah. like, uh, I can't remember what was going on, but it was taking a long time. And and I said that to him. I was like, "Do you ever get drive through anxiety?" And he was like, "What?" I was like, drive through anxiety, you know, like when stuff's taking it's taking a long time and there's a bunch of cars behind you. He goes, "No, no." I, I a- he goes, "I just, you know, you know what you do. You know, when you're my age, you just stop caring." Yeah, about <laughs> you know, it's, wait, wait. I want to. I just want to piggyback on that for a second because I I, I don't want to go too far down this road because I want to come back to what you're saying, Jared. But with the drive through thing, if you're going to a coffee drive through like Starbucks, yeah. And you have a big food order that you want to place, yeah. And the line is is big. The drive through is a place for efficiency, you know. Like you want to be speedy. My question Not for you guys is: is do you do you think it's more considerate? And this is this is going like to the like airplane seat reclining sort of example. Yeah. Like if you're gonna put in an order of food for like four or five people at a, at a Starbucks drive through, do you ever have the thought that like maybe this is more considerate to do this? In the no, in the restaurant. But, but I do have that feeling when the person in front of me is sitting at the drive-through window for like more than five minutes, where I go, "What the fuck did you order? And for how many? And why? You're in a truck. There's only two seats. See like, what's going on? Hurry the shit up!" I have that thought because yeah. of that reason. Yeah. Because I don't like it when somebody does it to me. Same. And so therefore, yeah. I consider not doing it. But do you get drive-through anxiety? No, I don't get anxious about it, but okay. I like, but I feel like I think of the considerate approach right. to. Dude, I say, guys, I go, I go, man, I'm just sitting here in my car. Yeah. But so, to, so to come I, back to so, your, so I knew yeah. when I was going to pose this question, I was like, here's my irrational anxiety: it's saving seats for people. I don't do it. There's some place I don't do it at the movies. If you didn't show up for the movie, also you don't have to do it at the movies now anyway, because at least here in Cineplex, like you just get assigned seats. That's great. I, that's, that's the best thing that's ever happened to Cineplex. Period. Yeah. I would agree like with that. Ever since. Totally agree. It's the best, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about it there. But like at a bar or something like that, it's a different story. Now, I knew when I was going to pose this question, I knew that I was going to reveal, here's my irrational anxiety. I had a feeling you probably have one or two. And I also had a feeling that Taylor would be like, I don't have any. <laughs> like, I just knew that was going to be the case. But maybe, maybe Taylor will prove me wrong here. But Brian, what are your irrational anxieties? Oh man, it's, it's hard because like (laughs) I would, I would think of like the drive-through example and not that I feel anxious about that, but I know I agree with you. I think that there's probably a few that I have. Nothing jumps to mind like right off the top of my head, but that they, oh, okay. It would be the airplane seat thing. Um, I would feel anxious if I reclined my seat, which is why I don't do it, but it comes from that like idea of like being considerate. Yeah. So Fortunately, it's a different situation where I'm not put into that situation um, involuntarily. Like I have the choice if I recline my seat or not. Yeah. But if for whatever reason I reclined my seat on the plane, I would feel irrationally anxious about the other having per- it the backwards. Behind you. Yeah. 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 Um, what you? I. I, I the thing the only thing that I can think of which I does I don't have anxiety about it but I am I am considerate of it even though I don't give a shit when I'm in that when I when this places are switched is 
is boarding a plane and like getting my shit in the overhead compartment and like getting yeah. sat down. I get that. Like, I don't get it anxious about it, but I am going, I'd like to do this as efficiently as possible to just like keep this yeah. process moving. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm boarding a plane and there's like somebody, I can feel other people's anxiety in front of me yeah. and they look back at me and I just go, all I'm good. Cool. I'm cool. Don't yeah. Worry, don't worry about it. And you know, it's funny. We're like, we're using the word anxious and anxiety and like, we're not talking about, generalized anxiety but we are talking about like a, a feeling intense of feeling yeah. of anxiousness it's the feeling it's the feeling of anxiousness that it's like the it's like the the form of anxiousness that probably everybody on planet earth do you not get like can, uh, irrational anxieties with zaya like like i had one i had like a slight one yesterday when she was like climbing up like she was trying to climb up to stand up and holding on to me and i was like man i'm anxious that you're gonna fall back and hit your head yeah i mean um no, because, uh, no, I mean, that's, but that's because I know that that's not something that she does. I feel like, like if I had a kid, uh, I, my kid would be wearing a helmet 24 <laughs> I I have a question and for like you guys. No, cause, so, you, know, cause, cause you get, cause you, cause they do something and you might have that thought at first, but then because kids are, because kids are developing and learning and like when they get something, they start to do it over and over and over and over. They do it like a thousand times yeah. once they realize they can do it. Yeah. Then you, you notice after the first like two times I mean, Zaya stands up probably 200 times a day. She's standing up a lot, man. The first day that she stood up, I might go, oh, I hope she doesn't sit down and bonk her head. And then she doesn't. And then I go, oh, that's just not the way that she gets out of this position. And I never think about it every Um, day. So I think that sometimes I feel this feeling of irrational anxiousness in situations where I'm being a... Um, inconvenience to other people. So like yeah. the like the seat saving yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. like the drive through thing that we talked about. But one example that I can think of is if I take my dog out for a walk and I don't have a, a poop bag. Oh, oh dude, yes, um, yes, I feel that. It's, that's so, the worst. And, yep, I and get like, that. And if my dog poops and I realize I I didn't have a bag with me, you just use I'll, your hands. I'll go back and get I just a use bag hands. and come back and pick no, it I up. Just, no, I don't do that. I just yeah. I just go fuck it, pick it up, throw it away. <laughs> you know what I do? Like, I, I feel anxious mouth. about it. I feel I feel that anxiety. And I when 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 if Loki poops and then I look in the bag holder and there's no bags, I will pretend even if there's nobody around, I'll like make movements and gestures that are like me going like, oh man, like oh I don't <laughs> have a bag, and I might even say yeah. it out loud. Just, just to be like, maybe if there's somebody in their fucking window that's watching him take a shit and watching me not pick it up, maybe they see me go, oh, he looks frustrated because yeah. he doesn't have a bag. I do, I do. <laughs> what I do is I mind picking it up and then scurry away. <laughs> yeah, I just say it was a, it was a thought I had, and and so I want to pose this question to the listeners. If you're listening right now, I want to know what your irrational anxieties might be. Uh, info at sickboypodcast.com. Let us know. We'll read them out on the podcast. And uh, we will we'll uh, we'll shrink you. I will say that that with having a kid, that in the beginning, in the beginning when you're like, whoa, this is so new, yeah. that when uh, so a baby is supposed to sleep in a in a, in a bassinet like next to your bed for the first few months. Bassinet, ba- a bassinet. It's like yeah. a mini. It's like a mini crib. Yeah. That's what it's called. Stupid. It's called a bassinet. <laughs> Stupid name. And uh, and. And, Just call it a crib. And I remember call it a baby bed. I had this with <laughs> Zaya, and I also had it with Loki when I flew home with Loki, and he yeah. was in a um, he was in a little dog bassinet. dog uh, little dog, dog bassinet, bassinet yeah. um, at my feet. That you have this irrational, you have this irrational anxiety of whether they're still breathing. Ooh, like, I don't like that. You just have yeah. it. You're just because you because because you're 
you're so they feel so frat at first, and this probably dissipates. Well, it dissipated for me in probably the first two weeks, but it's like they you you view them as so fragile, yeah, and mm-hmm. so like just so so um like there's so much uh they're they're so exposed that you Ooh. just think you you, you which is it's. It, it is very irrational once you once you get over it and you look back on it. But in the moment, you're like, you feel like you kind of need to be ready, um, and then you don't sleep really. You don't sleep as well because you're feeling like I might need to. And I felt like that with Loki. I kept on because especially because Loki, Loki makes um he's a French bulldog. He makes a lot of noise when he breathes. That when I couldn't hear him breathing, when he wasn't making like snorting sounds, dead. I was like, holy shit, is he still alive? Yeah, yeah. When my dog is like Max, Max chill, and he's like sleeping on the couch, and his paws are up in the air, and he's like. Like, he looks dead. He looks rigor mortis. <laughs> um, like sometimes I'll just walk over and look at his belly. Just be like, is it? Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Is he? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and he's good. Yeah. Um, Jera, I'm curious to, I, I don't want to stay on this topic for too much longer, but I'm curious how you dealt with your um, irrational. Donut, man, donut, you're just like, he's, he's like a gardener here. He's plucking leaves. I'm just going, tree. I'll take this one. I'll take this one. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious how you dealt with your irrational anxiety in that moment. Like, how did you. How did you do in that moment? Um, so anytime anyone would like look, like there was a couple of people that came by and they and they looked at the seats. Like, can I? And they would like and they would look at me. I, I would just, I would shit in his hand and throw feces. No, at no, no. I would look at them and I go, "What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep walking." <laughs> and that made me feel better about myself. Right, like it's better to like posture and like like out al- like be Dude, that alpha. Threw my elbows up. I was like, yeah. I started. I, 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 I started barking <laughs> yeah, at them. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah. So you know, it's funny. Everybody like, has their own strategies. I saw a TikTok video of a guy who is sitting on a <laughs> on a on a train, and there's people getting onto the train, and uh, the train was going to be really full. And as people are walking down the aisle to sit and pick oh, the seats to sit in, he's dude, he's going like he's dude. going like sit here, sit here. Like sit every here. Per- <laughs> every person walking by, he would look at them and go <laughs> like tap on the Ooh. seat like sit and, down. And the caption was. How to not have anyone sit next to you? Yeah. <laughs> He's like encouraging them to sit next to It's actually an amazing. Way. I wish you could do that on the plane. It was great. How often have you guys been on a plane <laughs> and you've been with one other person in a, in a row of three and you've been going, "Oh man, you're just waiting for them to close those really, doors." I, oh man, this person and the last person gets on, and you're like, "Please don't." Fuck you know what? You know, another option you could do instead of like the come sit, you could you could just put your hand out like this on the on the chair and. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Give him the address. Sit on that. Or just put your finger up and be like, sit on that. Would you sit next to the person? If someone that? went like this, come on. I'd be like, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks, dog. This person is interesting. <laughs> um, here's a wild uh, little post that uh, came across my desk this last week. New data from Scientific Accident has suggested that life may actually flash before your eyes as we die. Whoa. So uh, they accidentally stumbled across this. A team of scientists set out to measure the brainwaves of an 87-year-old patient who had developed epilepsy. But during the neurological recording, he suffered a fatal heart attack, offering an unexpected recording of a dying brain. So they had this guy in there. They were monitoring his brain. He dies. And they go, holy shit. We just saw what happens to the human brain when they die, which like... We've never done that before. That must be so exciting. It must be like uh, like setting up your camera to record like a rainstorm and then all of a sudden getting the perfect flash of light. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there was a guy in Newfoundland that just caught uh, on camera accidentally 
uh, a moose shedding its antlers, which is something that has like never really been recorded. Whoa. And uh, people are kind of freaking out about it. So it revealed that in the 30 seconds before and after his death, the man's brainwaves followed the same patterns as dreaming or recalling memories. So brain activity of this sort could suggest that a final recall of life may occur in a person's last moments. You get a compilation video. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like blasting. Yeah, it's just, a it. it's it's like... just one fucking monologue. Like, what's the song playing in your final, your final monologue? It would suck if there was no music. Oh, yeah, no sound. What, what would your song be? Um, I think it, it would probably be like, uh, that song that's like if I go tall on the little gun, <laughs> the song that I was, the song that I was, the song that I was saying right before you started recording. Yeah, 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 I would uh, um, dimension by Wolf Mother. Into another dimension. Yeah, yeah right. Good. Mine would be the uh, the drop during Fat Freddy's uh, Wandering Eye. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Man, it's it's like the saxophone busting in such a uh, brain activity of this sort could suggest that uh, the so Doctor um, uh, Ajmal Zamar, a co-author of the study, said that what the team then based in Vancouver, Canada, accidentally got was the first ever recording of a dying brain. He told the BBC, "This was actually totally by chance. Uh, we did not plan to do this experiment or record these signals." So will we get a glimpse back at time with loved ones or other happy memories? Dr. Zamar said that's impossible to tell. Uh, if we were to jump into the philosophical realm. Because this, spec- this guy actually died. Uh, he yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he did. He didn't come back. Yeah. Uh, I would speculate that if the brain did a flashback, it would probably like to remind you of good things rather than bad things. I mean, if, like you would hope. Um, but, that's, uh, but what's memorable would be different for every person. Um, I feel like it's easier to remember the bad things than the good things. So, you know, it's probably a flash of like all yeah. the shit, all your sins. <laughs> you know, you know, what's um, interesting is that it said that the first, the 30 seconds prior to you dying and the 30 seconds after, yeah, it would be so now, now that I know this, like if I'm lying on my deathbed and I'm about to go and all of a sudden this fucking TikTok video, a compilation of my life starts to play, and I'm like 30 seconds into, I'm like, I'm, I'm about to fucking die. You're like, oh, here it goes. <laughs> you start to hear the music. I'm on a woman. You're like, oh, fuck, do you guys hear that? And then you actually just realize that you have schizophrenia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Zamar, now a neuro- neurosurgeon at the University of Louisville, said that the 30 seconds before the patient's heart stopped supplying blood to the brain, his brainwaves followed the same patterns as when we carry out high cognitive demanding tasks like concentrating, dreaming, or recalling memories. It continued 30 seconds after the patient's heart stopped beating, uh, the point at which a patient is typically declared dead. Quote, this could possibly be the, a last recall of memories that we've experienced in life and they replay through our brain in the last seconds we die. The study also raises questions about what, when exactly life ends when the heart stops beating or when the brain stops functioning. Dr. Zamar and his team have cautioned that broad conclusions can't be drawn from a study of one. The fact that the patient was epileptic with a bleeding and swollen brain compl- complicates things even further. He said, quote, I never felt comfortable to report one case, Dr. Zamar said. And for years after the initial recording in 2016, he looked for similar cases to help strengthen the analysis, but was unsuccessful. Mm. Um, yeah, I super, mean, super trippy. It is very, uh, it's it is very interesting, and and I wonder where, I wonder where the 
the I wonder where that began that uh, that idea that let your life flashes before your eyes. Like, uh, I wonder what the first um, probably people who died and then didn't die, like like near death experience. Yeah, yeah, like people who died but then were like revived. Because, because like I I mean because like that's a that's a that's a that's like a trope, right? Like that's a yeah. Like everyone go. It's like well, your life flashes before your eyes. Because like, like when I think about my experience of getting hit by cars, like that could have very well killed me. Like if I had landed in a different way or something like that, I could have died very easily. Um, and like there are definitely very interesting observations that I made in that moment, but they were all they were all like about the moment. Mm. It was like time time dilated for sure. Things slowed down. Certain things like stood out very vividly. Like still right now they they do, but not like uh that's because you weren't you weren't actually dying i wasn't dying actually too, i wasn't right? actually i wasn't actually dying but i guess but i guess the but i i i kind of i guess in 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 pop culture and like sci-fi or or in movies that depict that experience your it, moment the your your life flashing before your eyes yeah yeah, yeah like it seems to happen at least in in movies in like the moment that in like that, like the cars, like the bus is about to hit you and like, and you have that flash and then you get hit and, yeah. and you're dead. Yeah. Um, there was a 2013 study carried out on healthy rats that may offer a clue here. So in that analysis, U.S. researchers reported high levels of brain waves at the point of death until 30 seconds after the rat's heart stopped beating. Just like the findings found in Dr. Zamar's epileptic patient. Uh, the similarities between the studies are astonishing, Dr. Zamar said. They now hope the publication of this one human case may open the door to other studies on the final moments of life. He said, quote, I think there's something mystical and spiritual about this whole near-death experience and findings like this. It's a moment that scientists live for. It's also interesting because when David McGinley talked to us about near-death experiences, the high priest. Um, he, he had talked about like his experience and sort of told us about like this like very vivid sort of picture of him walking towards the life and the light and like, you know, meeting his loved ones who had previously passed and them going, Hey, now's not your time or, or whatever. And and like you, you're, you're meant to go back and do some more things. And in this study, it talks about how the brain waves are uh, brain waves that map to experiences like memory recall. Yeah. But also it says concentration. Yeah. And so I wonder if maybe it's not your life flashing before your eyes and like that compilation reel. Maybe it's more like this actual like brain creating this sort of like. Like that meme of all the algebra flying, <clears throat> floating through the air when the person's like, oh, it's like. Yeah, this like this like, well, like whatever your version of your transition to the afterlife is yeah. like, maybe it's like you concentrating to create that vision of whatever that yeah. thing that sees you out of this world is. Yeah, you're definitely tripping balls when you die. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. Yeah. Um, here's another fun story. Um, 
Halifax Funeral Home is putting fun back in funeral home. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, dude. That is such a news headline clip. Yep. Uh, A monthly open mic night in Halifax is putting the fun in funeral home. Uh, Halifax Funeral home. Funeral home. The Halifax musician Noah Ty is known for hosting open mic nights across the city. Uh, but there is one gig in particular that people are dying to go to. <laughs> wow, man, I hate the news. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure if it was a joke or if it was for real, but I'm a curious person, so I had to email back, said Ty. The email came from Caroline McQuinlan, uh, who had recently hired at, had been hired as a family service counselor at Crookshanks Funeral Home, the one across from Sobeys up on, uh, mm-hmm. on Windsor there. Uh, quote, as soon as I walked in the chapel, oh, the acoustics there, hit me. I said to my boss, I'm going to host an open mic night here, said McQuinlan. Uh, he had just met me and he was like, oh, um, haha. I was like, oh, no, I'm serious. I'm going to host an open mic night here. Uh, and he gave me free reign to get us started. I love that they just like they quoted that. Oh, um, Dude, haha. the writing. I'm going to read that again. This is a, this is a full quote. He had just met me and he was like, oh, um, haha. I was like, oh, no, I'm serious. I'm going to host an open mic here. And he gave me free reign to get it started. Ty says he asked some musician friends what they thought of the idea. They seemed pretty curious, too. So we decided to go for it, he said. Uh, Where where there's a will, there's a way. And Crookshanks Unplugged was born. Crookshanks Unplugged. I think I had 25 players sign up to play the first month. And it was kind of rolling that way ever since, said Ty. Every other time you're in a funeral home, you're not having fun. You're not smiling. So this was just a different way to see the space, which is nice. Local- so, okay, just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, right. They, they, the person who got this job here was like, this Said, would be a oh, sick. Oh, um, ha, ha. <laughs> they were like, oh, um, ha, ha. This would be a great. LOL, so <laughs> random. <laughs> this would be a great venue for, for an open mic night. They weren't like, hey, let's. Let's take the like a funeral party and no, yeah, yeah. do an open mic yeah, with yeah. this funeral party. Let's just use the Let's venue. Let's use the space. For Let's use the night. space and do it while people are remembering their dead loved ones. <laughs> when really? They, no, no. Because when they like the so title, wait, they're just so they're just doing an a open venue. mic. They're just doing an open mic. Yeah. It's just a venue because they're going, hey, come on in here and listen to some music <clears throat> and check out some coffins. Because the article title sounds like putting the fun back, back in, in funeral home. Right. right. Yeah. Like sounded like it would be, hey, you know, like yesterday we had a conversation that that uh we just released on the podcast about uh these like quote unquote alternative um memorials or mm. celebrations of life. Eternal and, reefs. And um and I was thinking that like maybe this would be a version of that. Like let's do something fun yeah. at the funeral at home. The funeral home. With with uh, an open mic and the funeral party, but yeah. the, we're just we're just talking about a venue. That we're just be, talking about a venue. There's no unalived people at the venue. <laughs> it okay. would actually be such a funny, a, such a funny skit or scene in a movie where people are going in, like the like the main characters of the movie are going into the funeral home to like discuss arrangements for a family <laughs> member that's passed, and like they walk in, and then there's like there's just like. Uh, like 10 people like picture like a really sleepy coffee house open mic that where no one's really paying attention yeah and there's like somebody going up and and the people walk in and there's somebody just like doing an like a an atrocious rendition of fucking wonder wall and like and and you're just going and, and you're just what 
I, I imagine it looking towards what's uh, going on. Wish you were here. <laughs> I, <laughs> wish you were. Is that I, Incubus? Yeah. I wish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I dude, wish it, that's my band. I wish it was more like uh, Weekend at Bernie's, where like you actually got like. <laughs> right. <clears throat> The the yeah. unalived person on like <laughs> on like chords and you were making it. them dance along to the music. Uh, yeah. It's a dry event, so no getting no getting sloshed in the in Crookshanks. Um, but uh, hey, you know. Wow. So anyway, unplug takes place uh, the last Wednesday of every month from six thirty to nine thirty, and everyone is welcome, and everyone is sad. We should go, dude. Hell yeah. What are you uh, gonna sing, Bray? <laughs> What's your choice? Uh, I'm not going to sing, but I'll go listen to Jared do Incubus. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, you would. I'd be it, taking my shirt off and everything. Uh, this week, we put out an episode from our friend Sayo Bahan, who lost memory. And uh, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. So this is, uh, this is a really, we, we had this thought while we were talking to her, like, you know, you lose your memory. Everything is wiped. The hard drive is wiped. But if you were to fill that hard drive back up, how much space can the human brain hold? Um, so we often wonder about the brilliant memory capacity power of a friend or a child that we, that we encounter in life. Going back to the period of the Renaissance that saw the artist who had immense interest in the human mind, for instance, Shakespeare's create creativity in the formation of characters like Hamlet and Leonardo da Vinci, uh, painting a vir virtuvian man and bringing him to life. Vitruvian. 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 Uh, human brain memory is undoubtedly one of the most incredible organs that exist. Uh, you would be astonished to know that the human brain facts on memory. So let us understand the memory capacity of a human brain. New age life has made us aware of the technology used in our day-to-day -day lives. Gadgets such as computers, tablets, and smartphones have become the most integral part of life. When we think about replacing these gadgets... We first consider the memory of that particular device. So uh, let us understand the phrases megabytes and gigabytes, which will help us know the storage capacity we look for when we buy any new gadget. The human brain memory is indeed a genius thing that we are gifted with. Human brain memory is far away the imagination of humans. The human brain and nervous system are inclined to problems such as any other part of our bodies. So what is the memory capacity of a human brain? The human brain is an intricate organ that manages memory, emotion, thoughts, touch, vision, breathing patterns, and every procedure that controls the human body. The brain, accompanied by the spinal cord, forms the nervous system. The experts calculated the human brain's storage by gauging connections between brain cells and decoded that number into bytes and computer memory units. The human brain contains billions of neurons, each forming thousands of connections, a single byte comprises eight bits, and the human brain can store more than one quadrillion bytes of data, a petabyte. As mentioned in the article in Scientific American, the memory capacity of a human brain was testified to have equal to 2.5 petabytes of memory capacity. Which I think was... A petabyte means 1,024 terabytes, or a million gigs. So that's the average human adult brain can uh, accumulate the equivalent of 2.5 million gigabytes of memory. You know what's Way interesting more about than that? our Google Drive. You, you like know what's interesting about that, though? A hundred times more. Two things that I think are, are interesting about that is, is um, compression and recall. So, like, one, the fact that, like, we're able to, like, 
compress all of that info, like all of our past experiences mm. down into, um, um, into like into that much space, but also, um, our ability to recall, like we don't, we don't actually have from my, my perspective subjectively, we don't have a really great recall mechanism. I don't think that's subjective. For, I think that's pretty uh, well known. Like our memories, yeah. like, like for example, the memory that I have from four years old of like being rushed to the hospital after I had my eye almost sliced out. Mm-hmm. Is that my memory or is that the memory that I've developed through hearing the story over and over again? Right. And I've created this memory. Or, or even if it is a memory, every time you've remembered the memory, it's changed slightly. And your current memory of it is the, is the version of the last time you remember. I, I also, yes. I also misuse the word subjective because it's, it's not subjective. It's more from, from what I know. Um, right, and, right, right. and, and, um, and I, I'm curious when you say that, Jared, like, I wonder if it's like having a file on a computer that like, say you have a Photoshop file and you make some edits or changes to it, then you save it, then you open it up again. And the next time you open it up again, you make some more changes and you save it. Yeah. You're, when you're reopening <laughs> the file, you're opening your last version of it, not the original yeah, file itself. Yeah. So like how different is like the newest saved version compared to like what the original file looked like yeah. when it actually mm. was first created. The older it gets, the more different it probably becomes. Totally. So, so we, have, we have three different broad categories of types of memory. There's sensory memory, uh, which allows you to remember, remember sensory information after the stimulus has ended. Um, other memories begin after the formation of sensory memories. When the sensory memory experience keeps recurring, it might move to short-term or long-term memory. Then we have short-term memory and we have long-term memory. So short-term, it allows you to recall short-term information for a brief period. Research estimates that short-term memory lasts about 30 seconds. You can keep information in short-term memory by rehearsing it. For example, string of numbers. Long-term memory, we store a vast majority, store a vast majority of our memories in long-term memory. Any memory we can recall after 30 seconds is considered long-term memory. And there's no limit to how much our long-term memory can hold and for how long. It has two main categories, explicit and implicit. Um, so tips to enhance smoke uh, memory. You can quit smoking and alcohol and limit intake of surgery, uh, sorry, sugary and processed foods. Eat foods that help memory, such as leafy green vegetables, nuts, berries, and fish. Regular exercise boosts the growth of brain cells and the production of neurotransmitters, enhancing memory. Uh, adequate sleep, seven to eight hours each night. Keeping, uh, keep the mind busy and challenged through lifelong learning and stimulation. So traveling, learning new languages, picking up a musical instrument, taking art or cooking classes, doing puzzles, playing board games, all promote the growth of new brain cells. Actually, that, that speaks to me. Like when I play board, like when I play Gloomhaven, I can feel my brain like going into like overdrive. Like my brain, I'm like, oh, mm. fuck. Bro. I always feel like that when I'm learning a new card game. Mm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're like working, trying to explain the rules. You're like working your memory muscles. Yeah. It's like, yeah, how yeah. do I remember the yeah, elements of this thing? It's like doing bench press too. with memory. Yeah. <laughs> Staying organized to help you remember information better, uh, as does certain mental habits, such as repeating a person's name if you're introduced, paraphrasing conversations and becoming a careful reader. And meditation, sleep reduction, and keeping up hood network of social relationships. I feel like there's a lot of misspelling typos in this article. So can Stress we even reduction trust it? and keeping up hood network of social haha 
OMG. <laughs> LOL. Random. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm curious about um, like trauma's impact on memory yeah. storage and like how it, like I imagine using the computer analogy, I imagine it like a virus, like sort of um, um, wreaking havoc on your ability to store yeah. memories and the way that the, like, or just like slightly disrupting the process of how you recall memories in your short-term and long-term memory. I'm not sure if that's true, but like it's one way that I think of it is like, hey, you have this traumatic event. Maybe now you can no longer recall these types of long-term memories. Maybe now when you go to recall those types of long-term memories, this program opens instead or whatever. Yeah. Like it, it Dude, seems I have like- shit memory. Like my memory is garbage. Um, and, like I the mean, amount of time someone like someone like one of you guys or like an old friend says, "Do you remember that time when we were at this party and you said this thing?" And I'm like, that f- "I fucking said that." I, I disagree Dude, with that though. Wild. Like I I can see how you would say so. Like you're making like a blanket statement about your memory based on that example of it. But like also you recall shit about movies that you've watched, you know, a long time ago. So it's That's like true. the way that you sort of a- apply that. Like I'm good with with names, but oftentimes not with facts or like. You know, different types of things. No, it's I like think there's things that things that mean more to you, things that you connect more to. Like right. you connect more to you know it's movies, things than yeah. than you do your own personal there's life. Nothing, there's it's nothing worse though when like some, when someone comes up to you and they're like, "Hey," and you're yeah. like, "Hey," and they go, "Remember me?" and you go, "No," and then they go, "Oh, that's funny because like I remember you," and then you're like, yeah. "Oh, right," because like you're hate you're uh, you're forgettable. <clears throat> Oh my god! And that's and it's it's crazy because I'm realizing that I'm not because wow. I'm finding out from you wow. that you remember me and I don't fucking remember you. Wow! So you're super forgettable. So they're wow. an NPC and you're the main character. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys ever have that? No. I mean, I have that. I have. I don't I have, have that every day. People come up to me and go, "Hey, like blah 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 blah," and I'm like, I'm like, "Yo, who are you?" And they go, "You don't remember? Like, we spent like three nights camping together." And I go. You are so not memorable, <laughs> but I guess I am. So <laughs> nice to meet you again. Can you imagine saying that to somebody's face? <laughs> Holy fuck! Um, I mean, I'm I guess joking, I mean joking. you're joking, but like, there's but not, a, re- but there's not a, really. There's Actually, a cur- I have had that thought a thousand times. There's a kernel, there's you're a cur- not memorable, obviously, because I don't remember you there's at a, all. There is a kernel of truth to it, whether you're being, whether you're consciously thinking it or, 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 or not, because because when that happens, you are going, oh no, like. I feel so I feel yeah. bad because I go, but why do you remember me if I don't remember you? Yeah, because you're memorable. Maybe, but uh, but also that makes I me mean, feel really bad. But but what about this though? What oh, if you're memorable like for the wrong reasons? That's sure. probably why people remember me. Sure, yeah. they're like <laughs> yeah. you were, you're really loud. You're fucking obnoxious. But if you're memorable for the wrong reasons, you were wrong reasons, Are people coming up to you? True, that's true too. And I have a lot of people that come up to me and be like, "Hey, I remember you." Um, I, like a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, you know what I? You know what I actually have a really hard time remembering is birth dates. Like, uh, Kira, yeah, Kira yeah. texted me yesterday. I'm he goes, "It's your that. mom's birthday, January 20th. And I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna have to get back you on back to you on that." Whoa, one. your own mom's birthday? Don't know. You know don't, uh, don't know either. I don't know either. Your birthday is in August. Nice. Don't right, know when. August first. Right. Yeah, dude. This is October. Yeah, October fourteenth. Nope. I I actually don't know. October what? Tenth. Oh fuck. All right. <laughs> My mom's birthday is on. It's either May eleventh or twelfth. I had a I had a like a really close friend in high school whose whose birthday was on the eleventh or twelfth. And then since since then, I can never remember which one of them is born on the eleventh and which one's on the twelfth. I'm pretty sure my mom's the eleventh, but 
I'm pretty good with birthdays. I don't know. I'm bad. I'm not. I, I, it has to be in my calendar. Like if it's not in my calendar, it's it. Whoop, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm 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 good at knowing when they are. I'm bad at remembering to celebrate them. Like yeah, right. like yeah. I I mean remembering shit on the day it actually happens is hard for me. Yeah. Memory, uh, man. Uh, science so this is the last article of the day and uh I love this dude. I love this shit. Scientists worried that humankind will descend into chaos if we ever discover an alien signal. <laughs> So scientists at the uh, recently opened SETI Post Detection Hub at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland have a daunting task ahead of them, figuring out what the hell to do if we're ever to make contact with an intelligent extraterrestrial civilization. If aliens got in touch tomorrow, they warn humanity would be woefully ill-prepared, something they say needs to change as soon as possible. I wonder how much of this came out of COVID. It did. Totally. They said, look at the mess we made when COVID hit. John that Elliott, was something uh, that we could have, I mean, that a bunch of people had been sounding the alarm on for a long time. Yeah. Uh, John Elliott, a computational linguist at the University of St. Andrews and coordinator of the Post Detection Hub, told The Guardian, he said, we'd, we'd be like headless chickens. Uh, we cannot afford to be ill-prepared, scientifically, socially, and politically rudderless, he added, for an event that could happen at any time, which we cannot afford to mismanage. Elliot and co are looking beyond our efforts of scanning the skies for extraterrestrial signals and asking the questions of what comes next. Elliot. Elliot. <laughs> Elliot. Elliot and co uh, at the post detection hub. He'll be tasked with coordinating an international and unified response to any potential alien contact. Dude, you're wearing an ET sweater right <laughs> Dude, now. Dude, I know, man. Like, what's up? We're fucking, I'm all about the, I'm all about Elliot. the, uh, yeah, uh, what does this say? Jer's not gonna be. Uh, I just, I just Jer, Jer's not woefully unprepared, Elliot. dude. I'd, I'd, I'd be like, I'd spread, I'd spread them. Be like, I'd be like, let's my, go, probe, fuck, probe my ass, I'd, my, dude. My butthole <laughs> would be wide open. Yeah, dude. Take I my honestly temp- take my temperature. I find this, I find this article so far to be kind of crazy, only because like if they were like, holy shit, aliens are out there, and we've box. we've managed to like somehow communicate with them. The like the actual unless they were like unless they appeared in the atmosphere and right. they were like we're fucking here then if it was just a message you'd be like they're like so far away you guys so, and, so far did you right? guys uh, did you guys hear? thousands of millions of years. but I think that's what they're ta- I think I mean there, there's that but I think they're talking about like like did you guys hear about the umau mau uh, yes the, so, the, no. the the signal that they got at the Hawaii what, uh, no it wasn't a sig- no no so umau mau was a a terrestrial body, a terrestrial thing that entered our solar system in uh, two years ago or maybe a year ago. Not a rock? Uh, well, it, it was a huge, looked like a huge log of shit. And it came into our, into our solar system. It came into our solar system at a, at a rate of speed that doesn't make sense um, physics-wise. It slowed down as it started passing Earth. The photos we have of it are pretty grainy, pretty shitty. It's quite far away. It slowly passed our, you know, our place in the Was it grainy and system. shitty when we have the fucking Hub, Hub, Hubble telescope and now the James Webb? But I probably James, James Webb, Webb wasn't up there. James it wasn't, wasn't up wasn't at that up. point. But the Hubble's looking at yeah. Hubble's a Hubble's was a was a visible light. But but then get this, get this. Umamau pauses, sort of like slows down a bit, and then started to exit our solar system as it should have trajectorily. It should it was like making its way out as it was making its way out. It increased speed in a way that didn't make sense to physics. So 
there's a bunch of like legit scientists. There was a guy on Lex Friedman's podcast not long ago talking about Umamo, and he was like, "We we originally thought that this was some sort of like comet, um, but now we're looking at this, and we we most certainly do not think that at all. And it, it none of what this thing was made any sense. To it's us. a UFO. I mean, that's the that's well, that's it what is some a UFO. It, it is technically. Yeah. I know that's yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, I'm I know. Saying it, in but you the, not understand the confusion. I understand the confusion, UAP, but I'm saying it. Whatever. Yeah. Um, you know. So uh, they said, quote, we need strategies and scenarios in place to understand what we need to do and how to do it, he told The Guardian. Unlike many of his peers, Elliot isn't afraid to have humanity respond to the calls of an alien civilization. That question alone is an active debate that has experts divided, with many arguing that giving up our location could end up in a disaster, which, uh, when we sent out that record, out into space on yeah. the Voyager. Um, Carl Sagan was like, let's put everything on there. If you amazing like our coordinates, amazing video, our coordinates, it, it our gen, our, you know, our genders, our, uh, mathematical equations, uh, music art. Um, I mean, everything is on this like golden record that is said to last. It'll outlast our civilization. It will outlast the, the life of the planet. Can you it's, buy like like copies of that, dude? That would be so sick, right? That would be sick. I bet you can. I'm sure, you can actually. get replicas. Yeah. What's a what, what was that called? It was like it is like a record, golden right? Golden yeah. record yeah. in space. Let's find this here. The gold, it, the golden record Voyager. Uh, dude, look at this. I mean, this thing looks sick. It looks so sick. Yeah. <laughs> I want that on my record. Player. I think that. Me too. I think that making contact, that sending something out in the hopes of it of it possibly making contact with something. Um, is I I I think that dude, you can buy it. You can I buy it on that, Earth. I think that re- realizing and recognizing <laughs> and knowing that there is something out there to receive that signal from us, wow, is worth the risk of total annihilation. Guys, guys, a Kickstarter campaign <clears throat> recreated the golden records to make them available to the public on Earth for That's the first sweet. time ever. In 1977, NASA launched two spacecraft that would venture far out into deep space, each carrying a golden record with a message from Earth for any aliens the vessel might encounter. Now, for the first time ever, the record will be available to people on Earth. A new Kickstarter campaign is making copies of that golden record available to the public. Other than the two copies that NASA twinned Voyager spacecraft, only 10 copies exist. Oh, fuck. There's no way I'm getting this. Most of which are on display at NASA's facility. Even Carl Sagan, who led the golden record project, could not get his hands on a copy. But now... David Peskovitz from the website Boing Boing and the Institute for the Future, Timothy Daly of Amoeba Music and designer Lawrence Azard have come together to create a near exact replica of the golden plated phonograph record to celebrate the 40th anniversary. The Voyager launches uh, reserving a copy of the golden record cost a hundred bucks, but the campaign also offers smaller Voyager themed gifts for smaller donations of $10 and up. Can you get it right now? I'm going to look into it right now. Let's see. Uh, I'm super curious. What do you guys um, think? Worth it? Oh yeah, a hundred bucks no, for sure. Not, not for sure. that. Making uh, contact. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. This is so sick, guys. This is so fucking sick. I, well, yeah. I mean, the record I want is very a, cool. I though. want a copy of that for sure. Look at that. Um, That's very the, cool. Uh, oh. The the thing. I think it's worth it for guys, sure. You can get one right now. But um, but the one thing I I think was so when when I think of aliens, um, I think that a good way for me to think about it is that alien life forms, if we find alien life on another planet and it's not contacting us or like quote unquote intelligent life, um, it probably would look 
something more like other animals on this planet. Like think of like our sort of um, library of different types of animals there are. I mean, sea creatures, land animals, mammals, Mm -hmm. birds, whatever. I I would guess that an alien alien life would sort of look similar to something like that rather than like a human being or anything. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hypothesizing, uh, majorly, obviously theorizing majorly, but I think that one of the reasons why you would assume why you would make the assumption that it's bipedal is because, uh, it would be very, it would be challenging. It would be challenging to evolve. It'd be challenging to evolve to the intellectual level that we have without being able to use our hands freely. For a, an organism, I know, to but, be able to but not so my point about theory. alien life is that I'm not sure that it has to be intelligent in the way that we uh, um, sort of use that word. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't. Um, be. And so, like, I imagine a massive planet with, with, like, say there was a massive planet that turned out to have habitable life. But there's got to be a, there's, there's got to be, be some level of intelligence that we think of that that we think of as intelligent. No, in, order, in order to go, in order to leave. No, 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 but I'm saying that they were to receive signals. I'm saying that would be the challenge of finding an intelligent life that is able to receive or send signals. Remember Arrival? That was, I think that was one of the best like alien contact movies of all time. It was very good. Because you've got Jeremy Renner, hopefully uh, putting out some good vibes for that guy right now. And uh, what's her name? Amy Adams. And they're trying to, they're trying to figure out how to communicate with these two aliens on a spaceship that landed. And, and like she's a linguist and he's a something. I don't know what he was in the movie. Jeremy Renner? Uh, I can't remember. He was like a geologist or something. He had no right being there. Um, <laughs> but that was so cool. Watching was, them trying to figure out how to communicate. You know, like. I should rewatch that movie. Fuck, that movie's good. Um, I have a piece of uh, really good news. Yeah. For, for Feel Good Friday. Something that we can all feel good about. Okay. Oh, is it the uh, cancer thing? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to put it in the next week, but let's do it. Oh, okay. Well, it'd be old news by then. Um, it's just too many. It's just too many stories. This is just, a, this is just a small snippet from uh, Jerry News. According to a new report from the American Cancer Society, the U.S. cancer death rate has fallen 33% since 1991. Wow. That is Whoa. a gigantic number. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. a gigantic number. The report attributes this to advances in treatment, earlier detection, and less smoking on average. Huh. That, like that's a gigantic number. Yeah. I mean, because like cancer's cancer is a bummer. And, cancer sucks. And like I think it's one in three, or may, maybe closer to one in two people get cancer in their lifetime if you live old enough. I think if you live old enough, everyone gets cancer statistically. Like yeah. it's almost everybody. Is cancer the most common disease that we don't have treatment like a cure for? Like Probably. a cure? Well, oh, I mean, I CF's imagine. more common than cancer. What no, is? It yeah, it is. CF. Yeah. No, it makes no sense. Well, it's the most common genetic disease. Uh, what's not a genetic disease. More yeah. common CF. Think about it. There's like thirty five hundred or four thousand CF patients in Canada. Dude, you're There's talking like, like it's like orders of magnitude more common. You think? Like, yep. Not even a question. Hundo P. There's like, like four thousand people in Canada with. They with say uh, one in three people will get diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, and so that would be ten, 10 million, million people. people. The incidence rates of cancer overall climbs steadily as age increases from fewer than 25 cases per 100,000 people in age groups under 20 uh, to about 350 per 100,000 people among those aged 45 to 49 to more than 1,000 per 100,000 people in age groups 60 and older. Um, That's 10%. 
No, I think it's way high. I, I think thought it was I think way it's, higher than that. It, I think it's over the but and then CF is over one, of our one out of time. One out of CF is one out of every three thousand people. Of every three thousand. So cancer. I mean, depending on the age group, you got cancer is one thousand out of every hundred thousand. So yeah, I mean, those are way higher odds. Um, or is with CF, it's one out of three thousand. But it's but you're talking about you're you're comparing two different statistics because there's yeah. the statistic for the entire population versus. Uh, the t- statistic for a different age demographic demographics in that. So yeah. OMG. Ha ha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lol. Lol. Random. Uh, all right. Well, folks, I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, this is fun. We're going to come back on Monday with an episode and Wednesday with an episode and next Friday with an episode. So stay tuned. We got some uh, actually like some sweet recordings in the pipeline. And uh, if you want to be a guest on the show, reach out, uh, go to our website, uh, which is what sickboypodcast.com slash contact is that's no that's not that's not the link anymore that's not the link no, anymore. if you want to be a guest now it's sickboypodcast.com slash guest dash application a uh, little bit i mean a little bit confusing you can, you can just, go, just go to our website just go to the then, website and, and then, then click the, the white button it says be a guest the button's there, there. it's yeah. like click really the button. it's super clear dude i made the user experience on that website there's some so easter eggs slick. on our website too is there not yeah there are so go hunt for those uh, if you want to be a guest or you have a, a guest suggestion, go to our website, sickboypodcast.com, click the white button, and we'll go from there. And uh, if you want to support the podcast, Discord. Come on over to the Discord. Uh, we've got a bunch of Gen Zers running that shit right now, and it's fucking popping off. It is busting. I just want to say, too, we've, for some reason, just paid for more Discord Nitro credits. And so oh. if you want to get some of our Nitro, come on over to the Discord. Mm, yeah. That shit, that shit, that shit boosts. It's busting. <laughs> it's busting. Busting. Um, and uh, you, you, you had a call to action earlier in the show. What was that for? Oh, uh, irrational anxieties. Yeah. What are your irrational anxieties? Letters at sickboypodcast.com. Let us know. Yeah, Word. that is still a working email address too, which is great. Um, also, uh, thanks as always to the folks who make this show happen. That would be our manager Jeff Lonis to uh. Uh, Rich coin for the theme music and to the folks who help with the other episodes uh, throughout the week, other than just our feel good Friday episodes, um, Donovan, the meerkat, CPAP Morgan, dude, we, we love you uh, to take part for the original theme music. You guys are the best. Um, we love you all. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is sick one. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.